Hey guys, it's Jason Mraz. It's Amy Lee from Evanescence. We're from the band Incubus. Anthony Hamilton here. It's me, Lindsay Sterling. Dom from Big Gigantic. This is Zach from Portugal, the man. It's Lars from Metallica coming at you. Big, exciting news. I have teamed up with Bandium. We want you to be our special guest. I'm giving away the chance for one lucky winner to get a private one-on-one -on -one piano lesson with me. Nice, that was good. An all-expense-paid trip, airfare, hotel, and a champagne toast with your man. Win one of my signature Yamaha violins. Your donations will support Headcount, which uses the power of music to register voters. Goes towards the Upside Fund to help families who aren't trying to pay medical bills. Supporting workforce education, the fight against hunger. What it's all about. Join us. Join us. So go to Fandium.com and donate to win. Hey, Jody. Uh, I'm Alex Matarov. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Fandium. Uh, we are an uh, online fundraising platform that works with uh, musicians, bands, athletes, creators to inspire their fans to give back to nonprofits through the power of gamifying auctions and sweepstakes. Hello, Alex. Hello, Jody. <laughs> um, so it's funny because I this week was like a, a crazy busy week of podcast recordings. And so I feel like you are, I mean, actually, it's not, I feel like you're my first person in the United States. I have literally been in Ukraine, in Poland, in Nigeria, um, in um, Italy. And I'm like, I haven't interviewed anyone in the United States all week. This is weird. So, right. hi, I'm, I'm back in the United States. So I always, tell, I always tell people before we even talk about the business, we have to talk about the human being behind the business, um, where you came from, what you are all about. So where are you right now? And talk to us between, let's see, from childhood all the way to the time that you hit uh, college. If there's something really good, you know, I'm going to stop you. But um, I want to know, like, let's just start the story from there, from childhood all the way to college. Sure. Um, and I think it's very topical to what's going on in the world. I was actually born in Ukraine. Um, and I came here when I was two years old. Uh, I'm also uh, officially a refugee. That's I have refugee status. So the last month or so has been an interesting um, time for me because uh, I don't have family left in Ukraine anymore. But it's it's surreal to see my birthplace getting bombed. How about that? We'll start there. Uh, so I, like I said, I came here from the Ukraine. I've lived my entire life mostly in New York City and the and the surrounding area. Um, and uh, you know, we'll get into this a little later. But what I'm doing now sort of almost comes to this point of inflection now because we're about to launch a Ukraine refugee relief fundraising campaign. So my personal life, my background, my history is coming full circle around my company and my business. Um, but, uh, you know, to go into my childhood, like I said, I grew up in New York City, had a pretty regular childhood as an immigrant family. Um, I'm multilingual. And, um, you know, refugee aid societies were who helped me come to this country. Right. I could not have come to this country without an NGO, without a nonprofit, without a, a, a company that helped uh, those disadvantaged. And so now that I've built Fandium, mm -hmm. I almost feel like I'm giving back in a way that is both universal and also very personal. OK, so um, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you because um, I want I want to unravel a few things. Um, sure. How old were you when you came to the United States? And why I New was, York? I was almost three years old. Okay. Why New York? Uh, well, I mean, if we want to get into the backstory, we actually emigrated we, to- We Ro do, Alex. We do. <laughs> we actually emigrated to Rome, Italy okay. first. Okay. Um, and lived there for six months before, um, like I said, this refugee society actually was helping uh, Soviet uh, refugees um, come to the States, and New York was where they were sending everyone. Okay. Um, what do you remember yourself versus what you were told? Because there's a lot of, I mean, being three years old, um, I mean, do you have siblings? 
I don't. You don't. Okay. So you're three years old and you're seeing, I mean, look, you're, you were watching all these children there with their teddy bears. Um, you see all these images. Um, how old are you? I'm turning 50 this year. I'm turning, I'm turning 53 next month. Look at that. Yay. We're in the same age. Yeah. Um, and I'm first generation born from Haiti. So I was conceived in Haiti, born in America. Um, I say that because my mom was eight and a half months pregnant when she came here. Mm -hmm. um, and so what do you recall? Because a lot of my memories I remember, but there are a lot of things. It's because my parents said it, the story so often. I feel like it's my memory, but it's actually not because I don't remember in true reality. So how much of that time do you remember um, or, or how much of the stories have become now your memory? Uh, I remember zero because I came here when I was so young, but my quote unquote memories of my upbringing, or at least my, um, my home country are really coming through stories and photos. And I think that happens a lot. And what happens is eventually like, you can't tell what's real, a, a real memory or what was a memory that came through, you know, like I said, these stories, but, um, you know, the interesting thing, and I'll just, I won't go too far into it. The interesting thing about being a, a immigrant from the Soviet Union mm -hmm. is your memories are political, right? It's not so much, uh, you know, a memory of uh, my backyard with the sunflowers in the backyard. It's more like the memories are waiting in lines for bread. Yeah. And those aren't real memories. Those are memories that came for me through the stories that were told. Have you gone back? prior, obviously prior to, have you, like, how many times have you gone to the Ukraine? Uh, and this is the sad part. I have not been back. I've always wanted to go back. And mm -hmm. since this war started, it's actually come, become really obvious to me that I may never go back. I may never be able to go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's um, like me with Katie, um, yeah. where people ask me all the time, like, so I, have gone to Haiti. I mean, look, I mean, I, I was there in 2019 for uh, my uncle's funeral. And um, it's in certain areas, it's so beautiful. It's, I mean, it's literally like, the, it's the Caribbean. I mean, it's a lush, it's beautiful, but it's not safe. I mean, if you're Americanized, any Haitian that's Americanized or Europeanized or Canadianized, you are, you're prime picking for a kidnapping. Yeah. And, and I don't, I, I'm too busy to get kidnapped. And I would, I would be a lot of work to anybody that if you kidnap me, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm a lot of work. So yeah. you don't want me. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's heartbreaking because you know, you have a homeland that you really want to go to. You want to help, you want to help grow and it's just not possible to go. So I understand in a different way about not being able to go to the place that you're like, I mean, that you're actually from, which breaks my heart. Um, are your parents with us, still with us? Um, my my mother is not uh i i came to this country with just my mother okay so and she's no longer with us so we'll leave it at that okay um do you have any friend friends or family that have been like i mean like that are that are your connections like so your mom you came here with your mom but i go were you able to connect with friends and families of the past and do you still have those relationships with them now in order in in, in regard to who you are Wow, we're really getting deep here. Uh, <laughs> Dude, we are here for an hour plus. Did you think, uh, this, was gonna be, did you think this was gonna be easy? Come on, this is a real conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm totally up for it. Um, that's a great question. So I grew up in an immigrant community um, and I ended up marrying an American girl and all my friends were American. Very few of my friends were uh, fellow immigrants. Mm -hmm. So I only didn't really appreciate being an immigrant or of Russian and Ukrainian descent until college time. And by then I had lost track or lost touch with any of my immigrant friends or, or community. What made it, what happened in college where you all of a sudden like had the, Hey, by the way, this is who I am. Yeah, I think, I think, it, it, uh, was it just uh, as I grew older, I realized that there is a value to being an immigrant or, or there is, um, it would, perhaps it was an epiphany. Um, I don't know what it was, but the pride came back. Whereas maybe in my, you know, when, when you're a kid, you want to assimilate, 
right? You yeah. don't want to be the, the other. And so uh, when you become an adult, you realize, oh, the other is actually pretty interesting. You know, I have, I have a heritage, I have a background, I have a language. Um, let me lean into that a little bit. Yeah, I, I do love that. There's, um, I, I mentioned to you earlier that I am, I was speaking to a young woman that she's, a, she's Ukrainian. Um, she's half Ukrainian. Her dad is Ukrainian. Her mother is from Brazil. Um, she goes to the Ukraine all the time. She actually created a group of um, Ukrainian young people. So anyone that wanted to like same at the same age. And so she's like uh, at a student at Stanford. She's at the same age where all of, everyone wants to find out who they are. So they created this group globally for any college student. And she just um, put a pause on Stanford. So right now she's in the Ukraine. She's in Poland, Ukraine. And it's amazing because she talks about how we are working so hard to getting the people to safety, the children to safety. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. She's like, well, what about the art? I'm like, what? So her and her group, they were actually working with all the museums to get all of the artwork and all the history from Ukraine to Poland or to any country that will store things that are in the museum so that way they don't get destroyed. And I'm like, that's kick-ass. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's amazing. So um, a lot of the young people, they want you, they want to not know who they are, but they want to keep your history alive. And so just so you know, there are so like you at your age, it's still the same thing at right now to this point where the young people at, at the young people in their their ages of 18 to 22, 23 are still making sure that the Ukrainian history is alive and well after the war ends, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, so that way, no. years from now, you guys will always know where you came from and you'll know the stories and there'll be artifacts to prove it. Unfortunately, the story you're telling has got parallels to like World War II. So, um, you know, that's the sad thing about it. But yeah, that's um, that's the gist of my first 20 years. How about that? Okay. This, well, this is, that's a good, I'm sorry, but that's a good gist. This, this is yeah. why I asked the question. Mm -hmm. This is why I asked, um, what degree did you get in college? What was like, or, or your, your higher education of world? Like what was the, the main goal for you? <laughs> Again, everything dovetails together. Uh, I got a dual degree in political science and marketing. Mm -hmm. And I was on track to go into um, international relations and um, uh, foreign relations. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, again, as I watch what's going on, I'm, I'm the kind of person that reads foreign policy magazine for fun. So I'm like really consuming a lot of information right now. Um, but I am also a huge music fan. Like mm -hmm. it, it consumes me. It's the soundtrack of my life. I've always been a music fan. Um, so um, when I was a senior in college, I decided to give up my track and decide to go into music. And that's what happened. And so, the, and I spent my entire career in the music industry. What did your mother think about that? Because um, most international kids, we know the rule, doctor, lawyer, engineer, and now technology. Um, what did they think when you decided, what, what did your mom think when you, she decided, you decided like, I go, I'm going to go in the music field because I wanted to go into the theater. And my dad's like, all theater people do drugs. And I go, I'm like, uh, okay. So, I mean, what was it about the music that drove you to change your whole entire, your whole entire thought process of what you were going to do? And by the way, when you had the light on, it was better because like, now it's like, oh, now there's more light to you. Just so you know, it was going dark. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, we're, we're being videoed now, but I had a, uh, the sun was right in my eyes. Okay. And so it would have had shadows, but I'll okay. do my best to see what I can do. No, you're um, good. No, I just want, just want you to know when you're watching the video, when you're like dark to light, just yeah. so you know, that's what was happening. Yeah. I apologize. Um, I, you know, I don't remember. I, I don't think she had a big issue with it. You know, she was just like, whatever makes you happy. Um, obviously any parent wants their kid to become a doctor or a lawyer and uh, I wasn't going in, the, on, you know, in that direction anyway. So she's like, politics, music, what's the difference? <laughs> what was it about the music? I mean, um, music like yourself, it's it, like country music is my thing, which people find that so odd. But when my parents came to this country, country music really tells stories. I mean, there's clear stories that you can hear. And then for me, like we would wake up, at, like my dad would wake up five o'clock in the morning, classical music. I mean, there was music all throughout our house, jazz and just everything. What was it for you that automatically drove you to that? I mean, yeah, as a young person, music is your life, but I go, but music is your life just because it's on the radio. You have a certain artist that you love. What 
was it that made it a passion for you for it to be converted into your career? And what was the career that stemmed from it? I think that there are just some, there's, it's as simple as there are music people and they're not music people. Like, you know, from the moment I think I heard any notes of any music, I, I said, well, this is something I want in my life every day of my life. And, you know, ever since I can remember, you know, my earliest memories, um, I've always had music playing, right? And, and it's not because necessarily my family always had music playing. I consumed a lot of radio um, and, um, you know, I don't want to say it was, it's in my DNA, um, not literally, but I, you know, figuratively, I feel like music's in my DNA. Um, so I just decided this is what I want to spend my life in. You know, a lot of people have a career and then they have a hobby, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Um, and then uh, some people decide I want my hobby to become my career. Mm-hmm. And that's what I ended up doing. Talk to me about your careers before the business. Uh, can I ask you a question? Can I... Ask- do you, can you stop editing so I can turn on, or is it okay for I? For just no, just, just turn it on. I mean, I like, literally I don't edit, so like just okay. it's all good. Usually right. I have usually I have cats that are running over the keyboard. I have dogs barking. I have a UPS guy delivering. So yeah, you. Okay. I, I'm used to it all. All right. Okay. Um, what was your question? So Unko, tell me about uh, talk to me about your career before the business. My career before this, before Fandium. So yes. um, it, it's it's pretty lengthy. Um, I started working as a uh, in a recording studio. Um, I also at the time worked at a record label in New York City um, at Atlantic Records. I left Atlantic Records to go to Interscope Records. Um, at that point, I joined a small label as part of Interscope and worked there as well, called Nothing Records. Were you um, a record rep, or were you actually in the studio? No, actually, what's interesting is I started that in public relations, tour marketing um, and tour relation, uh, tour PR. And, um, you know, I should probably caveat that when I say music, um, yes, music is a huge part of my life. But live music is what is what really moves me, which which kind of comes to fruition uh, a little later when I uh, joined a company that uh, produces music festivals. So um, for a little over a decade, I was part of a company that was producing some of the most, uh, some of the largest and most influential music festivals in the country. See, this is what I mean by uh, shadows. Um, (laughs) And uh, and, uh, so I have been part of the live music scene, made a lot of relationships, um, had some amazing experiences, was uh, able to produce over 50 different music festivals over that time. Um, and, um, and that is where my passion is, uh, and has always been my passion. And I still go to concerts. Well, with the exception of the two years of the pandemic, I still go to concerts on a weekly basis. Um, I respect your world because I was in your world. So I was a producer of the Maddie in the morning show here in Boston Mm-hmm. Kiss 108, which they had the big Kiss concert. Um, and the shows that um, we put on were epic. And I mean, and if mm-hmm. it wasn't for all the record reps and all the agencies that came and like literally worked with us, I mean, like we just wouldn't pull it off. I mean, so Kiss 108 is known for the big Kiss concert every summer. Um, and the amount of celebrities that I just got to hang with. Mm-hmm. Because I worked at this company when I was younger in my 20s, I'm so jaded that. I was backstage or I was like front row or I was like on side stage. It's hard for me to go to any show now only because it's not the same when you're not amongst the hubbub um, or when you don't have those intimate shows where they're singing acapella and, or they're just like, you know, just like uh, 50 people in the, in a room and it's a wonderful little dinner with the artists and they're telling you the stories. I'm a storyteller. I love hearing stories and to hear how a song was created is so much more. So I'm, I'm jaded and I've been spoiled and it, it's basically, it's ruined for me, ruined me because I love music so much that if I don't have it in the intimate setting and if I'm not able to ask questions, I don't enjoy it as much because I want to get in the mindset of why the song exists versus what right. my, I mean, I went from being in the, you know, a, a radio producer, television producer, a press secretary for a governor and being in radio by far, I mean, by far my, well, I was a teacher first. I was a second grade teacher. So being a teacher and being in radio, I felt we're the same because they're all about stories. 
how do I tell a story to like really get you to be stuck on it so much that you are reciting my story? When we are seeing someone's song, we're reciting that story over and over and over again. And it means more to me. This is why it, it breaks my heart that we don't have videos like back in the day. That, that video really solidified that, that song in your head, in your heart. And we can still talk about it years and years and years later, no matter how many decades goes by. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you play it, an it, instrument? I'm so sorry, I go ahead. You play the drum. I thought, you know, it's interesting what you said about being jaded or being spoiled. Um, it's really one of the things that uh, helped me launch what I'm doing now, right? So to, to your point, I've been backstage so many times. I've seen shows from the side of stage, from, from that perspective, from the artist's perspective. I've met artists. I've had all access passes, basically every show I've ever done. Yeah. You know, to, again, it is a little difficult to go back into the general admission of a show, and I don't <laughs> typically do it. Um, you know, the nice thing is I do have the ability to call a friend and say, hey, do you have an ex uh, extra pass or two? But you know, I try not to overdo that. Um, the reason why I bring it up is when my partners and I launched Fandium, which is what we're, what we're doing now, um, my partners also are former festival people. So we yep. all come from that perspective of been there, done that, and had the most amazing experience. Mm -hmm. But the average fan doesn't really get that access, right? Yeah. The average fan is just happy that they get, a, you know, a seat at a show sometimes. Yeah. And so what we're doing, um, and we can get into Fandium a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Doing, taking that perspective of, uh, you know, these once in a lifetime experiences that are not, that are not offered to the, to the typical person mm -hmm. and trying to offer that to them. Um, and in the, and, uh, and by doing that, you're also uh, fundraising and donating to a nonprofit. So it, everyone is, is happy in the end. Well, let's, let's dive into this. So walk us through how Fandium works. Uh, so we are a, we're a digital platform in which um, we run sweepstakes, auctions, other kind of gamified type of contests in partnership and with artists and with festivals and with venues. So we're not a, a broker. Um, because of our backgrounds and our relationships, we have the ability to actually call up a manager for an artist yep. and say, listen, what is the nonprofit that you guys support? What cause do you support? What are you passionate about? Right. Mm -hmm. And let's engage your fan base and let's inspire your fan base to donate to that nonprofit. And in return, let's come up with this kick-ass prize, right? you know, to my point before of something that is not really available to the average fan. And let's, you know, let's give that away as, as a reward, as an incentive, whatever it is you want to do. So I'll give you an example. So we'll go to an artist um, and either we will have a cause in mind, which is um, mental health awareness month yep. or black history month or Pride, or Earth Day, or whatever it is. And we'll say, do you want to support a nonprofit that really um, is, is, in, is supporting this particular cause? And, um, or the flip side, there are a lot of artists that have their own nonprofit, mm -hmm. a lot of them. So we'll come to them and say, okay, you have this nonprofit, let us help uh, fundraise for you. Um, and then, you know, the artist gets behind it. They provide their full support. They promote it. They, they like I said, they promote it to their fans, which is mm -hmm. the key there. Um, and they're almost giving a stamp of approval to this particular prize by saying, I support this. This is my cause. My fan base, please be part of this. When I was in the music biz um I, I feel like i will always be like I go, it's, it's part of my heart um we would have a make it or break it so friday nights we would have make it or break it this is like this is a dating kind of a, a, a totally dating my myself right now because make it or break it an artist would come out with their cassette we'd play it on friday if we loved it we would call up the record reps if we didn't we would break it with a hammer and back in the day a good cassette costs a lot so when if we broke mm -hmm. with a hammer it stopped but they had an opportunity to give out their best opportunity to look to be seen. So many artists today are frustrated because, I mean, we have great talents. We're seeing them on YouTube. We're seeing them 
on the old, like MySpace still exists. So like they're seeing, they're finding, finding their ways to be on different platforms because if you are a um, Paul McCartney, um, if you're a Paul McCartney, if you are a, you know, like a, um, I don't know, like a big artist, you know, you're going to get a show, you know, you're going to get a lot of play. You're going to, you know, you're going to get a lot of visibility. The newer artists are not getting the same kind of visibility because back in the day when they didn't, if they didn't go to their local radio programs, they would go onto a teeny bopper show. So on the WB back in the day and now CW, they would end up on a teeny bopper show. Thus they would build their following. Mm-hmm. How do you work with up and comings? Because they're look during the pandemic, we clearly saw so many up and comings or you're like seeing the up and comings on these, like, I mean, like, uh, the, singing, the singing shows. How are you finding them and how are you working with them? Or do you even work with them? You know, honestly, at this point, we don't work with too many up and comings. Um, you know, when we built what we built with Fandium, we almost made a promise to all the nonprofits that we support that we're going to fundraise and make an impact, right? Um, and that means trying to work with artists big enough to drive, you know, a decent amount of, of donations to their cause. It's uh, you know, we're asking the nonprofit to support it. We're asking the artists to support it. We want to mm-hmm. make sure that in the end, um, we're making a difference. Okay. The thing about working with smaller artists is smaller artists don't have the, the, the larger following. And the secret sauce here is with our marketing and with our um, advertising in combination with that fan base that the artist already has, mm-hmm. we're going to be driving uh, donations. If the fan base isn't there, right, it becomes more difficult. And in the end, we're not really making an impact that much. Now, that being said, we are going to expand into open source, meaning that we will let artists build their own campaigns and we'll run the back end of it. You know, and that's something that we're going to do this year. We're going to launch it this year. But right now, you know, if you look at our roster, we've worked with some of the biggest artists in the world. You know, we've worked with. Imagine Dragons and Metallica and Pearl Jam and Eric Church and Martina McBride and Kesha. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you name it, there's a whole bunch of artists that we work with. um, And eventually we'll get to that open source ability to let any artist or any athlete or any cause utilize our platform. March 2020, um, the buzz is happening. Well, the buzz starts in February 2020. And then all of a sudden, now the world is being shut down. I mean, the world is shut down. Like it's, it's like literally has never happened before. Even a hundred years ago, when there was like the, that last pandemic, the world didn't shut down. So you are dependent on these shows. You're dependent on like charities around the world have suffered dramatically because you're dependent on people coming to your event to be part of something, to make change. Um, whether it's a running race, whether it's a concert, whether it's a, a big dinner, it's, it's, it's a game changer that the world is shut down. What did that do for you and what you're trying to accomplish? Because we were, we didn't, we've never seen it. It happened. A lot of musicians, not only the person that's performing, but the entire team around the, these groups are now suffering. What did that do for you, your company, your ideas, and also just the future of where your company is right now? Well, you, you, you're touching upon the origin story, where we started. Um, March 2020, everything I was doing shut down, like you said. Every festival I was involved in, um, you know, it almost happened in the matter of like seven days. You know, it was the week of March 14, 2020. Mm-hmm. By the end of that week, every one of my clients, everyone I was working with was shut down. Um, that spring is when I got together with some of my co-founders. and Originally, the idea for Fandium was we have friends and bands, we have friends at festivals, we have friends at venues, they're all suffering. Their income is completely lost. They can't tour, they can't play live. As we all know right now, really, you know, no one's making money off of Spotify, no one's making money off of sales. They're really, really, you know, if you're an artist, no matter what level you are, you know, your your income is coming from live music, right? And they lost it. So we launched Fandium originally as an idea of helping our friends in the music industry to make up some of them that that money they lost. So, you know, you ask about 
spring of 2020, it's basically the reason why we launched our company. We ended up pretty quickly after talking to a bunch of artists, realizing that a lot of them were saying, you know, this is great, totally get what you guys are doing, but there are a lot of people suffering right now. Let's find a nonprofit and instead let's have that nonprofit. Yeah. And we quickly pivoted from helping the music industry to helping nonprofits with the aid of the music industry. And that's basically our model now. Um, and it's, uh, you know, sometimes you have to take a really difficult situation and find a solution for it. And we feel like we found a solution. Who was that first artist that you talked to that jumped on board and what did it look like? So, you know what it's, I know what you, I, I don't, I, I, just, I don't know, but when you first created this to help the artist, what did it look like? And who was that first artist that you worked with that like got you to open so many more doors to where the company is right now? Because you, I mean, the pandemic definitely changed a lot of different business models for the, for the better and some for the worse, but for the better, a lot of smart, savvy people were able to like, I go, I'm going to change this right now to, to do it better. So maybe actually the question should be, who is the person that called you out on, uh, there's people that need help. And then for you guys to be smart enough to like, how we look, we can sit there and help other people. You know, I don't think it was anyone that necessarily called, called us out. It was just a lot of conversations we were having. I will say the first thing we launched was out of a, a relationship we had because we have some roots in New Orleans, right? Um, and there are, there's a venue in New Orleans called Tipitina's, which is an iconic, internationally renowned venue that is, is part of the, the fabric of the city, mm -hmm. the, at least in the, uh, and music's part of the fabric. So it, you know, it all makes sense. Um, Tipitina's because of the pandemic was about to shut down for good yeah. period. You know, they were, they, they were going to lose their building. They were going to lose the, the venue. And so we said, okay, this is the, this is the opportunity. We're going to run a benefit called safe tips. Okay. And we're going to build a live stream benefit show, which we did. Mm -hmm. And we are going to build a whole bunch of campaigns around prizes uh, in partnership with Tipitina's and artists in New Orleans, like major artists in New Orleans, like mm -hmm. Trombone Shorty and Big Frida and, and these type of artists. And we launched it and it crushed. Like fan, this is exactly where it's important where fan, there are a lot of fans on a global scale that love Tibetinas. When they go to New Orleans, it's it, they make sure they go to Tibetinas. And they all opened up their wallets and they said, we want to help save tips. Um, and we're, you know, we're happy to say that we did. Tibetinas is, is around and it's they're putting on shows now. And we were a part of that. That that just makes me feel really great. I mean, especially because I mean, as we see that there was another storm in New Orleans. I mean, like New Orleans is continually just hit over and over. I don't know who did what. I don't know what the universe is saying. I don't know who made a deal with the devil. I don't know what the hell's happening there, but it gets hit over and over and over again, but yet people still come and it will always survive. So I'm always happy. There's a pro and con of New Orleans, but I mean, I went to University of Houston for a short bit and I have spent many, many, many of dollars and many, many, many of hours um, and days in New Orleans. And every single time I go and it's just, it's, it feels like it's, it's a, it's a home. I mean, being it's like the Creole feel, the island feel. There's something about it that just draws you in, which is amazing. And I love the fact that you you, you found a way to keep something alive. Um, mm -hmm. With a high cost of tickets overall, I mean, like there are concepts that, concept, and I think, again, there's a, there's a part of me that's jaded. Um, I cannot justify paying a certain amount of money for a concert, even when I was younger. I just like, it just, the, the, the costs are so high. Um, and yet, um, and I'll use the example of, I have a farm share and I interviewed the owners of the farm share and our, like, there's four towns that we support seven different farms. And I asked the question just because I wanted the audience to know, I'm like, I go, why are the costs of farm share, being part of farm share so expensive uh, versus if I go to the market? And she just basically, she's like, you're not paying for the, you're not just paying for the food, you're paying for the farmer's kid to go to school, you're paying for the house, you're paying, you're paying them directly. Um, could I equate that same thing to like when you are working and when you're paying for those high ticket prices, am I paying for the entire team? Am I paying for the artists? Can you like talk about that? Because people are donating to what you're doing. People are seeing high costs. They're like, I want to work. I want to support this artist. I want to support this charity. 
but God, I go, they can take some of their ticket price money and then donate it themselves. So can you just talk to talk about that? Because people are just seeing high prices for so many things. And yes, they love this artist, but golly gee, this, the prices have gone higher and higher and higher and higher for everything. So some people might say, I want to support, but I can't justify all this like high, the, the high dollars. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, this is, I'm sorry, it's a very thick question. Yeah, it's music industry 101. I mean, uh, the artists make money, the venues make money, the promoters make money. Um, and so there are a lot of moving parts to that. You're not, you know, if you think that your $45 ticket is going all to that artist, then that's not the case. And so, um, and like I said before, it's really the only income these artists are making right now is, is the live shows, um, you know, with the exception of a couple of things here and there. Um, the margins around live music are very thin. It's not as lucrative a business as you think it is. It may be glamorous, but it's not as lucrative. So, you know, if, if someone is out there saying, oh, you know, these tickets are really high and I'm just, you know, putting more money into the pockets of some of these big artists, um, there's a lot more that goes into it. They're crews, you know, it's, it's, it's expensive to produce shows. It's expensive to go on the road, especially in, in, you know, since the pandemic. And in this day and age, um, you know, one of the byproducts of the pandemic is, you know, there was a trucker shortage. And if you're mm -hmm. a, a major artist or even a B-level artist or mid-tier artist that's touring with a truck and, and a, and a stage setup, there were no, there was no way to get on the road after the pandemic. So suddenly things got more expensive. So, you know, I think it's a little naive to just say the ticket prices are so high and everyone's getting rich off, off of it. It really isn't. It's naive, but for an a individual that doesn't know, that's yeah. all they have to work with. So this is why it's so important for me to speak to individuals that are in specific industries, because again, I was in it. So I know that I can answer the, I can answer it for you, but I go, but people need to understand where you're in it right now. And even just saying the, you know, I've, I, there's a gentleman that I interviewed from New Jersey and he's a trucker and he talks about how bad it is. Not only as in there's, there are people that are trucking, but to get the licenses for a trucker and then to find the company and then certain areas that they don't drive into. So just hearing it from his perspective, well, I'm like, I didn't know, but you're telling me this. All I know is, oh, look, I'm that person. I ordered something on Amazon and I'm not getting it. And I'm mad. Well, there's no one delivering it to the Amazon shipping house. So thus you're not getting it. And even where not even realizing you guys are hiring truckers, you're not just hiring the truck and all the equipment and all those like bells and whistles that come with the show. People don't know. They just see the, the they see the prettiness. They see what yeah. you've marketed to us, but they don't know all the back end. So this is why it's so important to have you tell the entire story versus just parts of the story. Um, yeah. You talked about earlier in regards of you're doing something for Ukraine. So what are you, what, what have you guys designed um, that you're going to be doing for your homeland? So we are um, working right now with a bunch of artists to launch a, uh, a Ukraine refugee benefit campaign. Um, very similar to what we do across other campaigns. Um, we're working with artists to support it, to give prizes. The difference here is 100% of all uh, proceeds are going to go to rescue.org and care.org, which are two organizations uh, on a global level that help refugees. And right now, you know, the major focus or one focus is Ukraine. Um, we're also working on um, potentially doing a benefit concert with mm -hmm. some of these artists. Uh, that's sort of in the works. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the that's the campaign we're working on. And we are going to be launching some of these artists prizes in the next week with more coming in. What could, I mean, in regards of like, what is the best partnership for you right now? Um, you are running these amazing um, uh, collaborations. You're collaborating with a, a lot of the artists. You're collaborating with like friends that, that are in the industry. You have your, your co-founders and how many co-founders do you have? Um, there are five of us. Three of, of us um, were the were we have our backgrounds in in the festival space, you know, pretty mm -hmm. high level stuff. So you know, um, we build a really strong team. So the, and the, the other two, 
The other two are on the marketing digital platform side, really talented, talented guys that know their stuff. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a digital platform. So without them, we wouldn't be able to be up and running. Which again, technology is like, it literally is a game changer for a lot of different companies. So, so what is, I mean, other than um, this, we'll call what you're doing with the Ukraine for Ukraine right now, who are your, the best people you want to collaborate with? Who do you want to sit there and see within the next year of this company of yours? So I, I always say to people, I focus on a year. I don't focus on the five-year plan because obviously January 2020, January 2020, you were probably excited about so much and it's changed dramatically. So I always focus on the year. So what does the next year look like for you? Who do you want to collaborate with um, to grow the most, the grow, to grow visibility for your business? Well, you know, what's funny is when we launched in 2020, I think we, you know, our, the partners, us, we all said to ourselves, we have a couple of artists in mind that we'd love to work with. And if we work with those artists and we did pretty good, right? Um, and, and we've worked with some of those artists. So, you know, we've checked off a couple of personal boxes. Um, I think ultimately it's not so much of which artists we want to work with, we want to work with artists that have really passionate fan bases. We want to be able to work with artists that can speak to their fans, um, have an ability to have a dialogue with their fans, inspire their fans, um, and maybe they get inspired by their fans too, right? So it could be hip hop, it could be country, it could be heavy metal, as long as that artist has a fan base that uh, really kind of believes in them, um, then we think there are going to be really successful programs in the future. I'm going to go and ask a really unique question only because I'm in, I mean, my major focal point for my businesses, for my, the companies that I work with are personal branding. I focus on the humans well before this is why I, whenever I'm talking to anyone on the podcast, I ask you who you are as a person well before your business. Um, you are in the land of personal brand. Um, you are in the land of building their personal brand outside of their music to like focus on their pe the people and the causes that they are, it's so dear, dear to them. Um, and I'll use example, I mean, I'm just gonna use the example of Taylor Swift only because she, because of her mom, cancer is something that she really focuses on. Um, and so let's just say, um, and this, this has not happened, but let's just say that, that you're working on a cause for, a, for, for an artist like a Taylor Swift and something goes wrong with their brand. How do you take the marketing and then now it's crisis management. How do you still, how are you still able to do that job? Um, and I'm always so curious how people handle that because when you are in that essence of I'm building your brand, I'm talking on your, your behalf, I'm like really working with people that love and adore you. And then something goes wrong with like something in your life. You've done something, you said something, especially during the pandemic, you saw a lot of celebrities saying, doing things that were like, it was what they just verbally, the verbal diarrhea. Um, yeah. How do you continue to do your job knowing that you have to, you're doing crisis management, but you're still trying to help a charity out of here. This is outside of, this is, you're not like, asking you as an expert. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting. It's um, that's a great question. Um, a big part of my career is brand partnerships around live music. Yeah. And so I've always spoke, I've always kind of paid attention to when a brand brings on a, um, a brand advocate from a, from a celebrity, right? Um, and sometimes these celebrities do really dumb things and they say <laughs> really dumb things. And next thing you know, the brand has to pull their uh, endorsement, yeah. right? Or they have to cut their contracts. And I've seen it done. You see it in sports, you see it in music, you see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's part of the risk you take when you work with someone that has a huge megaphone because they could misuse that megaphone. Um, but I still, I still think it's, it's, it's useful and, and, uh, and beneficial to do so. In our case, look, we have some values. I have some personal values that I wanna work with when I build out my company. And, and those values also include there are certain nonprofits and charities I would like to work with because they align with who I am and who we are as founders. Mm -hmm. So that being said, there are some artists we won't work with because they don't align with us. Um, and then there are some artists 
that um, use nonprofits as a rehabilitation tool, right? Um, and that some of them are huge, they, but they need to rehabilitate their images. I don't know if that's necessarily, we want to be part of that. Um, you know, without naming names, I mean, there's one artist out there that had a, had a festival blow up in, in their, you know, in front, in, in front of everyone. And we, 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 I was going to say, we, we, we can, we know who that is. <laughs> yeah. And he started his own nonprofit, or I think he started his own nonprofit. Um, I don't know if we would work with him. You know, it, it, it's pretty serious stuff. So we, we just have to pick and choose. Uh, luckily, when you work with nonprofits, you know, most people have the best intentions. Um, I, I love how you said that because um, as founders to businesses, um, sometimes when at the beginning, when you start your business, people are just thinking about like, I go, we need to grow, we need to grow, we need to grow, we need to make money. And they make the decisions of just like, I'm going to work with everybody. Um, I love that uh, as a young company, you've made a decision very clear where we work with the right companies, not just mm -hmm. anyone, but the right ones, which is fantastic. Um, when you, a lot of people that are listening, that are going to be listening to you are either thinking about leaving these big corporate jobs that they've had. They've been in this industry for quite some time. And they're like deciding that maybe it's time for me to do something. Um, we've watched in the past eight, month, eight months, how actually in the past year, how over 20 million people have walked away from high paying jobs. Like they didn't get furloughed. They didn't get fired. They were getting, they were being made, they were being paid six figure six figures. Um, they weren't the Dunkin' Donuts or the Starbucks employees. They were making good money. And they're like, I'm, I'm walking away from this. The pandemic pause made them think differently about how they want to leave their personal legacy behind. What would you, what advice would you give to anyone that's listening that is on the edge of diving in to do their own thing? And what were the highs and lows for you when you guys first started? Well, it's, it's not an easy thing to give advice on because uh, just leaving your job or leaving your career, I mean, it's scary. You're taking a massive risk. Not everyone has the ability or the, you know, the, the, um, the money in the bank to, to do that. I think there's a certain level of um, enjoyment in starting your own company and being your own boss. And more importantly, if there's a passion or a purpose that you have, then do it, right? Um, but it's not easy. So I'm not the right person to tell people, quit your job and, and start your own company. But if you think that this is what you want to do and you think you can do it and you have the wherewithal and you have the passion and you have maybe a little bit of support from family or friends, go for it. I mean, the great resignation is real. I think a lot of people learned a lot of things in the last two years, including myself. Um, and, um, I hope more people learned a lot in the last two years about just the way they want to live their lives and what their priorities are. And that's professionally and personally, and from a professional side, maybe, you know, commuting into your office five days a week, twice a day, isn't what you want to do anymore. Maybe you want to build an office in your home and just start something. And so do it. What were the highs and what were the lows for you when you guys first started? Uh, I want, I'd like, I'm very happy to say we've had more highs than lows. Um, awesome. and again, I think it's a product of the fact that we had a lot of relationships when we first started out and we were able to call people we knew in the industry and say, Hey, we have this great idea. Does your artist want to be part of this? I mean, the lows are, uh, you're building a brand from scratch. No one knows who you are. You have to build it without a single social media follower and a single email in your database. And uh, there are days when you're like, wow, we're not really getting the traction we thought we were going to get. And then a week later, you have this huge successful campaign. I'm like, yeah, we are. <laughs> so, so, uh, so far, so good. Um, and, uh, you know, the lows are basically like, oh, I'll, I'll, let's just put it this way. I'm going to, I'm going to use a, an example that I've been telling people on my team. And also, I don't know if you're a sports fan. Oh, I probably shouldn't I, even know here, but. Uh, well, no, I, I, you know, it's like, I love sports. I don't 
I'm not dedicated to one sport, but I love watching sports. I mean, I, I can have sports on all day, every day, but I'm not dedicated to one sport because I travel around the world and I love going to soccer games overseas. And you're like, it is like so crazy when you go to a soccer game, but then you can go to a, a lacrosse game and same thing. So I love all sports because of the community that's around sports. Right. Well, I'm going to use an analogy um, that I, I use quite a bit. I'm a huge baseball fan. Just love the sport. And in baseball, you have hot streaks and you have slumps. You know, no one is consistent throughout the entire season. Yep. You know, you can go a week where you're just crushing every ball and then a week where you can't hit a, you know, a, a watermelon. If it it's a long-ass season, too. So, yeah. like, you can't be perfect for the entire baseball season. Right. So the saying goes, you're never as good as your hot streak and you're never as bad as your slump. Eventually you'll even out, right? So don't get too high when you have that week-long hot streak because you're really never that good. And never get too low when you have that slump where you can't seem to get anything right because you're never really that bad. And so that's kind of what I say when it comes to business is like, you'll have good days and bad days. Don't get down on the, uh, because you have bad days and don't get too high on the good days. Cause you'll, you'll, things will come back around. I always say on the bad days, walk away from the computer. It's like, I mean, yesterday I was having one of those, it wasn't a bad day, but I wrote something. I was writing something. I mean, like I had this context. It was, I mean, like I was like, feeling the flow of writing this amazing content for our client launch. And I didn't put it on doc. I was writing it inside of Facebook and I know better. And it, it, it literally like something went wrong with Facebook and it shut it down. And I'm like, I was so physically angry. I'm like, I got to walk away from work right now because I was like, this is such a rookie move that why would you write it inside the platform and not a document or in the computer? And I was just so mad at myself. I'm like, I'm going to walk away and I'm going to do something else. I'm so productive. And I had a better day, came back a couple of hours later and I started like burning it down. So so yes, that's the, your analogy is on point. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so I have two more questions for you. Um, not the final question to, uh, not the final two, but this one. The industry overall, where do you believe the industry overall will come? Because we had two years of, I mean, like literally 20, let's just say January, 2020 concerts. Everyone was, it was an epic year. 2019 ended, it was an epic year. We're gonna start, we're excited, new decade. Um, two year pause. People are coming in. People, I mean, you're seeing concerts that are full. I mean, people are going back at full. I mean, people want to spend the money. They've been sitting on money. They're like, I just need it out of my wallet. I need it out of the bank. Where do you believe the industry overall will be? Um, obviously, we have different variants. We have a lot of things that are happening. We're in a war right now. It may come, it might come closer to home. What do you think will happen overall to the music, music industry globally? It's a, it, again, I love asking you the meaty questions. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, there's a, the music industry is, it's a lot of bit moving pieces. So it's hard to just say the music industry in general. Um, one thing I would say is there's been a lot of talk about the roaring 20s, right? After the pandemic, there's going to be a roaring 20s. Everyone's going to want to go out. Everyone's going to want to travel. Everyone's going to want to go to shows. Everyone's going to live their life. We're not quite seeing it yet. I mean, things are slowly getting back to normal. But, um, you know, to be honest, shows are not selling as well right now as you thought they would. Like they're selling fine, but there's, there's, it's, you know, no one has, we haven't jumped back into it headfirst yet. Okay. okay. So that's, so we shall see whether there's going to be a roaring 20s. I think there will be to some degree, but I think the, the optimism about this like decade post pandemic where, everyone's going to be having the time of their lives. I think it's still TBD. I think the other part is Web3 is a real thing. You know, um, what is what, when you say Web3, what's that? Web3, which is NFTs, the metaverse. Um, that is a real thing. I think it, there are going to be some growing pains there and some learnings there. But artists and music are going to really lean into the Web3 uh, side of the business, especially NFTs. We see it right now. I think there's a realistic, massive future in uh, the metaverse. Um, do I think it's going to change the world? I don't know. I don't think so. But I think it might have a significant effect on how people consume music and experience music and experience live events. Um, 
And I think that over the next few years, Web3 is going to be a big part of everything. Well, I feel that Web3 already started when they started adding holograms to concerts. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it. That's part of it. I mean, you know, a big part of Web3 is living on um, the blockchain and living in an alternative um, world, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um no longer just completely physical. The hologram yeah. thing was really interesting. The problem is they're super expensive, <laughs> you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, there was a two-pack one and there were a couple of other ones, but, the, you know, it, you can't really do it for every artist. Yeah, because I was going to say, in Vegas, they had, try- well, I don't, I don't know if they're still doing it, but I know in Vegas, they, they, were, they were doing the Michael Jackson one. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, Natalie Cole did it for the first, like, she's the first one that I, yeah. I believe that did it with her dad, seeing uh, um, the same song. So uh, it, it is... I feel like the, the experience of being at a concert versus being in a hologram version of a, a concert. Yeah, they I mean this. You can go to a silent, a silence dance party, and I've been to one, and they are it's hysterical. I mean, it's it's hysterical. It's fun. You're jamming to this music, and yet the room is completely silent, other than people's yeah. feet going. So it's 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 definitely here already in a smaller version, and yeah. it will it will definitely blow up. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see how that that plays out. I, I believe that you are in a, I mean, again, as a music lover, you're in an amazing time. It's an amazing time to be you, to be where you are, to, for every day that we wake up, there's always a disaster somewhere. And you are part of it because you get to be the passion of the music, but also be able to help the world. God, you are in a phenomenal place. Absolutely phenomenal place. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of help that needs to be done. So if we can just help a little bit, and and have some sort of impact, um, then I feel like, you know, it's worth waking up in the morning and, and feeling good about what you do. Just to touch base one more time. Do you help artists, if they don't have an uh, uh, organization, will you help them build it? We don't help them build it. If they do not have an organization and they don't know who they want to support, we'll, we'll help them find that organization. You know, I mean, it, again, it's, it's what cause do you support and we'll, we'll work with the organization. We work with artists and the organization. So we'll connect them if we, if we need to. Beautiful. Oh my God, Alex, you're amazing. I mean, you're, you're cool. You're amazing. Um, uh, how did you survive the pandemic personally? Because professionally you were busy because you were like in this and you were like, you had your team, but personally, how did you survive this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I've survived it yet. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, uh, I just worked. I worked. Yeah, I found an opportunity to really focus on the work. Um, Dude, you're married though. You're, de- you're, you're, you're married and you're at home. I'm you married. <laughs> I got kids. You know, we, uh, we did everything that we were supposed to do. We were mm-hmm. smart about it. Um, we were safe about it. Um, and, uh, we got through it and, um, now, you know, we're looking forward to the post pandemic world. I don't know if we're quite out of the woods yet, but I, I feel really optimistic about things, you know, other things, you know, war across the world, these other things we can't control, but all we could do is control our little family mm-hmm. and the people around us. How many kids do you have? I got two kids. You have two kids, girls, boys, girl and a boy. Nice. Look at that. The American dream. Boom. Well done, my friend. Well done. Two um, dogs too. But no white, <laughs> no white picket fence. <laughs> You're in New York. It's okay. It's totally, totally fine. It's like, it's hard to get that white picket fence in New York. Yeah. Um, my, um, one of my, my MBA classmates, he's Ukrainian um, and he has two boys. And I asked him, like, how do you talk to your kids about this? He goes, he goes, I don't know how to, because they hear us on the phone. They hear us checking on our everyone all the time. They hear us checking on their grandparents. But they're quiet, so we think that they're fine. I'm like, I go, so how do you talk to your kids about this? Well, I mean, are you talking about Ukraine? Yeah. Um, Because you went went from two years pandemic to, I mean, so it's just this constant flow of like, holy crap. You know, I feel bad for kids these days a little bit because they've they've been living through a really difficult time. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, no one under the age of 15 should have to lock themselves into their home for two years and be scared of going out and, and socializing with their friends, right? It, it, it was tough. And, and I feel like those formative years, um, they lost something really important. So now suddenly they go from one um, crisis to another. 
my kids are older. They're a little older. They're, you know, teenagers. So they understand what's going on. I think more importantly, they see that I have a personal connection to it. You know, I speak Russian, right? Um, their grandparents or, and their uncles and aunts are from that culture. So uh, not uncles and aunts, great uncles and aunts. Um, and um, they just, I think they feel like it connects to them, but they don't, you know, I don't think they, they lose any sleep over it right now. Well, I, I, I'm, I, I always say to people that I am passionate and I care only, literally, I will say this, I care only about young kids. I was a teacher, young kids and older. So, I mean, the aging, um, everyone else in between will figure it out. But those are the, the, the groups that I focus on because older individuals, it hurts their hearts. They don't talk. Young kids, it hurts their heart and they won't talk. And when they don't talk, it's like it's all internalized. And so I always ask, how are the kids doing? So it's like for me, I always check in. That's a check in. All right. So I've taken more than enough of your time. I appreciate it in so many, so much. I mean, you're doing so much that is good. Um, I love that there's a connection of what I, I get what you do. I understand it wholeheartedly because I was in that world. Um, I think it's a blessing for me because I've had uh, marketing and branding is what I do, but I've been lucky to do it in education, in, uh, in the media, whether in radio, TV, and in government. So I'm able to have a conversation with a lot of people and I'm first generation and I travel around the world. So I'm happy that I have this crazy background, but I'm able to connect with so many people on what they do. And I'm so thankful for you. Um, I'm thankful because like, I don't work with PR people ever. I don't ever work right. with PR people, but your awesome PR person approached to me and said, I have a really great person. And I always, whenever I hear that, I'm like, oh, mm. she sent me all this stuff. I'm like, I don't read stuff before. I don't read anything about people I interview. She's like, why? I go, because I'm a human and I can actually talk. I know yeah. how to talk. So I don't ever read anything about you until afterwards. That way I could put it, I could just like yeah. promote you. Um, but she did good. I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her a round of applause. She did good because you were legit. I'll give her a round of applause too. Look, I love, I'm a, I'm a talker. I love having conversations. You know, I, I'm a, a people person too. So any opportunity to just talk, talk about anything. I'm, you know, I can talk about business. I can talk about politics. I can talk about music. I can talk about, you know, I don't have, I'm not part of a farm collective, so I don't have much to say about that. Um, but I'm happy to talk about anything. So I really enjoyed this. Thank you. No, I, and, and for me, I'm old school radio where we gave you an opportunity to talk. We didn't give you sound bites. And so for me, it's, it's, it was extremely important where I want you to talk. And at the beginning, you're like, oh, we're going down the road. I'm like, dude, we got time. We, we are yeah, going down the road. So I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to talk and tell your story. And so as we end, the, the way that I end for everyone is I ask the same question. No matter how many times I bring you on, I will always ask you the same way. Um, I ask you if you have a personal ask and a professional ask. What would be your personal ask and what would be your professional ask? We ask about our businesses all the time, but we don't ask for ourselves. So that's why I give you two opportunities. When you say ask, are you, I'm not sure I follow when you say ask. Is it personal goal, business goal or ask? Am I asking someone to help me? Anyone that is listening to you right now, if you are talking about your business, you know, like I want funding, I want more odds. You know what to ask for your business. But I'm also like I'm doubling down by asking you, what would you ask? What, what do you need for you? In this moment of time, what do you want the universe to hear? Oh, wow. Um, OK, for, I'll start with the business. Um, from a business side, all I ask is for artists and athletes and creators to give us an, a chance to help them help nonprofits. So all we want, we will prove ourselves. Um, and we will help you do good. We will help your fans give back. Um, that's it, because we're confident that we'll, we'll do what we can do. On a personal side, uh, this is where the Gen Xer in me comes in, right? Uh, I don't know. You're a Gen Xer, too. Right? I am. And there's a certain personality quirk about Gen Xers in that we, we were, we were bro brought up feral, right? We were brought up... Uh, uh, not coddled generally and we were also brought up to not ask for help right we were brought up you figure it out yourselves <laughs> so i am really a quintessential gen xer like i don't ask for help i in my my perspective is if i need something i'm going to go out and get it and so 
your question is really difficult for me because I don't ask for help. I don't have asks. So I'll just tell you what my goal is. And maybe it's an ask. Maybe it's an ask of a higher power or something. It's just uh, let me have the opportunity every day to grow. You know, every day, if I can do something, read something, experience something, learn something that makes me grow, even uh, incrementally that day, that's all I'm asking for. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm asking for. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought it was because I was raised by my dad. I hate asking for help. It is, yeah. it is literally the most painful act in my life to ask for help. And I do it, like I do it, but I hate it. it, like, it it's like, like I have to prepare myself to do that. So thank you for saying that it's a Gen X thing. It's not just like, I thought I was because it was the way I was raised. No, I think it's, I mean, everyone's raised differently and it probably is how you were raised, but maybe it's how I was raised, but no one I know asks for help. Everyone I know figures it out first. Yeah. Honestly, At least in my, in my age group. I No, I'm, I, oh my God. Like you, you just gave me the, a moment of like the aha moment. Like, wow. Like I didn't, I didn't really pay attention to the generations, but you're right because my, I, I think about all my friends in my zone, my, like the Gen X, we don't, we just get it. We do get it done. And I literally look at people like, I go, no, honestly, stop, stop bitching and moaning. Just get it done. Um, you know, my, interns, I... my interns are like, so horrified by me. They're like, they'll come to me. I'm like, I go, that's lovely. Um, you need to get this done. And they're like, I go, well, can you help me? I'm like, oh no, no, no. I need you to come up with me with, with, with some options. And I could sit there and like guide you from there. But if you're walking to me with no options whatsoever, I'm giving you new time. Yeah. Well, you know, as I say this to you, uh, I'm realizing the irony of it all because <laughs> what Fandium does and what I do is I help nonprofits that ask for help. So here I am saying I will never ask for help, but I'm more than happy to build an entire business and spend my waking hours helping other people that ask for help hey guess what i have a podcast that does the same <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god alex thank you so very much for your time you are awesome you are absolutely awesome i'm literally going to email your pr person again i don't like working with pr people but she did great i love you all right well thank you i really had a blast i love like i said love talking love having a conversation um and um hopefully we'll be able to uh cross paths again we will definitely do this again i go and i literally i've interviewed a lot of people in new york and and i said i, I promised michael i will come to you i feel like i'm going to just do a tour just to see how you guys are all doing come on out it's all a right. great city i i do i do day trips to new york yeah. and everyone's like why i go because it's three and a half hours the way i drive yeah all right <laughs> bye, well, thanks a lot, Jody. you too <laughs> bye bye, -bye.